Hello and welcome to Sermons by the Park, the weekly sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the radical welcome of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Word of God to inspire and transform us. We're happy to share that message with you wherever you are on life's journey. Now here's this week's message. Today's first reading is from the Psalms, Psalm number 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your feet be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Well, friends, this morning our second reading comes to us from the book of Numbers. This is one of my favorite Bible stories. It's an obscure one, but I think it's just the best. Um, You need a little context uh, to understand it. The book of Numbers comes right after the book of Exodus. Its name is really misleading. It's actually about the time when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness after they have come out of slavery in Egypt. It's a fascinating book because obviously that's a pretty fascinating time for those people. Um, Here today, we come to a part of the story where the Israelites have been on a rampage, basically. They've been on the warpath. Every uh, new sort of nation or group of folks that they have come into contact with, um, they have had conflict with. And fortunately for the Israelites, they've come out on top of those conflicts over and over again. They've defeated the Amorites and the Ammonites And now the king of Moab is next up. And so um, he's worried, having seen what's happened to these other kingdoms. And so what he does is he sends, his name is Balak. This will be confusing in a moment. But his name is Balak, the king. And he sends for a man named Balaam, who is a prophet magician, diviner sort of figure. He's from far in the east. He lives near the Euphrates in what would, uh, what would become Babylon. And Balak sends a message and he says, hey, Balaam, I need your services. I need you to come here and I need you to curse the Israelites for me so that when they come and attack our kingdom, we can defeat them. Because if they're cursed, then, then we'll have a leg up, an advantage in battle. Well, Balaam speaks with the Lord. Balaam apparently has a hotline to Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, and he asks, what should I do? And initially the answer he gets is, don't go. You can't curse the Israelites. These people are blessed. Then, so Balaam tells Balak this, 
he sends back to and says, whoa, 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 I will give you all sorts of gold and silver and honor and glory if you just come and do me this one favor, just one little curse, no big deal. Uh, and so again, Balaam goes to God, and what God says, actually, you know what, you can go, but you're not going to go and curse the people. You're going to bless them. And that's where the story picks up for us. Uh, it says, so Balaam got up in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the officials of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary. Now he was riding on a donkey, and his two servants were with him. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey turned off the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with a wall on either side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it scraped against one of the walls, scraping Balaam's foot, and he struck the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in another narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had my sword in my hand. I would kill you right now. But the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way? And Balaam said, No. Then the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down, falling on his face. The angel said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away from me, surely I would have killed you and let it live. Then Balaam said to the angel, I have sinned, for I did not know you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now if it is displeasing to you, I will turn around. I will go home. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with these men, but speak only what I tell you to speak. So Balaam went on with the officials of Balak. And you want to know how the story ends? I'll just spoil the ending for you. So they go to Moab, and sure enough, Balaam stands before Balak, and Balak says, all right, time for you to do your curse. Let's go. Uh, and Balaam says, I cannot. In fact, let me tell you what's going to happen. And three times he talks about how blessed the people of Israelite, the Israelites are and how out of luck Balak is about to be. And then, this is the most wild part. It says, and then he went on his way. And Balak went on his way. And that is how the story ends. It's a good story, isn't it? 
You didn't know there was a talking donkey in the Bible, did you? I love that story. It's a story about how God's help comes to us. It often comes to us from an unexpected quarter, and it might come in the form of an unexpected messenger. It might even seem to be contradictory. After all, God said, go to Moab, but then got mad about it. Just goes to show that sometimes God allows things to happen doesn't mean God likes it, doesn't mean God wants it. Yet God wants to make sure that even in those times we are still aware that God is present and that God is our present help in times of need. You know, during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, there was a statistic that jumped out to me. 23 million households in America, one in five households in America, adopted a pet in 2020 and 2021. That's a a huge number of new people adopting pets in that time. And of course it makes sense. That was a time of of isolation from other people. It was a time when people were at home more and more. And so how how do you fill the void? The need for companionship, the thing that we get when we are able to go out and visit friends and go places, uh, we didn't have that. And so people turned to pets. And of course, you know, it's an interesting place to turn. There has been a trend in pet ownership over the last 20 or 30 years towards viewing pets not just as pets but as members of the family, as almost an extension of one's immediate family. People talk about being dog parents or have their, their dogs as fur brothers or sisters, right? And um, before we go too much farther, I just want to say something, and I'm particularly saying it to people of my generation. Dog parents are not parents. <laughs> Owning a dog does not make you a parent. A dog is not your kid. It is nothing like having a kid. Of course, there are similar, similar aspects to it. People can get confused. I understand. A, a dog requires your care and your nurture. Right? So does a child. But that's about where it ends. You know, when you're in your 80s, a dog is not going to have power of attorney for you. A dog is not going to ask you to pay its tuition bills. Uh, dog parents, you know. I'm, and, and I don't want that to sound anti-pet, because I'm not. I just want us to keep these things straight. Because if you remember that passage from Genesis, it said God filled the earth with all sorts of creatures. And and all of those creatures were great. They were wonderful. And in fact, God puts humankind right down in a world that is full of all these other creatures, each with their own different kind. And God insists upon the relation of human beings to those things, right? It says that that the man named all of these creatures, that that there was a relationship that was built there of, of mutual understanding. But the important thing to remember is that the relationship between humankind and those other animals is different in nature from the relationship we have with one another. It's important to recognize that animals can be a help to us. Right? Pets can help us. They can help us not to feel alone. They can help uh, teach us how to uh, care for something beyond ourselves. But they are not as Genesis 2 says, a suitable or a fitting helper for humankind. 
And that's because, well, I guess the question here for us today, the question we, we want to wrestle with is, what does it mean to be a suitable helper? What does it mean to be a fitting helper for humankind? Now, the wild thing, of course, is, is that this whole story is about a donkey who helps out Balaam to avoid death at the hands of the angel of the Lord by repeatedly veering away from this potential source of trouble. And, of course, what we see throughout the story is the way that Balaam doesn't trust that the animal is acting in his best interest. He misreads the signs. He doesn't understand what's going on. It's because, you know, Balaam expects the donkey to do what the donkey's supposed to do, what a donkey normally does. But as I say, this is no ordinary donkey. This is a, a donkey who has its mouth opened by the Lord so that it can speak. And the wild thing is, is that, is that Balaam doesn't even bat an eye. He just responds when this donkey starts talking to him, as though it were the most natural thing in the world. I think I would at least take a beat and say, what is going on here? But that's the thing. I mean, it must have been so out of the ordinary that Balaam should have recognized that something different was going on here. But even then, he, he, he unloads on the donkey. He says, look, I've, I've told you three times to go forward, and you haven't. What's going on here? You know, I am so frustrated with you because you are not doing what I want you to do. But the donkey says, hey, you know me. I've been your old reliable donkey all these years. Do you really think that I'm just going to act up out of nowhere for no reason? That I am untrustworthy to you? Balaam didn't know that the donkey was his helper and that God had made that donkey a fitting helper for him in that moment. You know, that wonderful thing about Scripture is that at the very beginning, in the beginning, the whole world is created and parsed up into its individual parts, and everything is differentiated, and God creates order out of chaos, and it's all very intelligible and understandable. But the thing about Scripture is that as you go along through the book, as, you, as the story unfolds of how God interacts with the world and with humankind, what we see is over and over again that the sort of circle of care, the circle of connection, the circle of relationships that begins, has its epicenter with us, with humanity, over and over again it starts to expand. And so... So here in, in Numbers, it's a talking donkey. In, in Job chapter 12, it says, if you want to know or understand the wisdom of God, you've got to ask the animals. They will teach. The birds of the air, they will teach. Ask the plans of the earth, and they will teach you. Ask the fish of the sea, they'll declare it to you. Who among all these does not know what the hand of the Lord has done? In God's hands is the life of every living thing and the breath of every human being. In Psalms it says, We look to the hills for God. It says, The rocks cry out and declare the glory of God. Over and over again, the thing that connects human beings to the wider world around us is the activity 
of God, is the presence of God, is the fact that one thing we share with all of these other things is the same creator who loves us and who cares for us. And ultimately, ultimately that is expressed most clearly and most definitively in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we do not look to the hills for our help. We do not look up as though God is somewhere up there working away. God comes into the world in the form of a person and stands face to face in front of us. In Genesis, that word where it says a fitting helper or a suitable helper, let us create a suitable helper for humankind. The word fitting and suitable, another translation for it is is face to face, right in front of. It's suitable because it's right there. It's, it's plain as day in front of you. And that's what Jesus was. Not some hidden angel of the Lord with a sword drawn in his hand, but a man, a humble man, a poor man, a teacher, and yet a king, a savior, and yet a helper. Jesus came to this world to show us God's love face-to-face. And the best part is that when Jesus came to earth to show us that, he told us that that love is already in us, that the kingdom of God is already among us. It is already here all around us. All we have to do is open our eyes. Jesus taught his disciples to look around, I like to say that one of my favorite things about Jesus is that he was always looking around, and he was always seeing the person that everyone else ignored. And that would be the person that he would point to and say, theirs is the kingdom of God. What Jesus showed is that that we should never pass up an opportunity to help other people. We should never fail to notice those in need. But also, he said that we should look for help from the people we think of as helpless. The people we think of as lost or or poor or or worthless in society, those are precisely the people who can teach us something about the glory of God because those folks oftentimes have the greatest hope of all. The uh, Catholic mystic Thomas Merton once wrote that despair, despair is the extreme of self-love. It's reached when a person deliberately turns their back on all help from anyone else in order to taste the rotten luxury of knowing themselves to be lost. Despair is not caused from without, Merton wants to say. It's caused by such a deep self-love and and self-regard that one believes that they are the only ones who can make their life worth living, that they are the only ones who can who can make this world a good world. Those who take too much pride in their accomplishments, in in the collection of things, in the domination of others, in having things as they want them, those folks are setting themselves up because all of us inevitably are going to come up against the limits of what we're capable of doing. We all have our limits, and when we reach them, and we reach the frustration of that, and we lash out in anger, oftentimes all we'll succeed in doing is hurting the people around us. Merton says that the only cure for despair, which is when that anger that points outward turns inward, 
The only cure for despair is humility. Humility. It's the capacity to say, you know what? I need help. I need real help. And that's what this story today shows us, that in those moments, in those moments where we may be going down the wrong path, or we may be on a narrow path that requires us to tread carefully, that God is there to help us. And so if you are at a time or a season in your life of uncertainty about what's to come, know that in that moment God helps. God is there to help. If you're feeling alone and isolated, that God is there to help. If you don't just feel like you don't have enough, but you really don't have enough, God is there to help with that too. When relationships start to get out of sync, when you feel like the people in your life don't really love you, God helps with that too. God is always helping. God has filled this world with helpers of all different kinds but we don't always perceive that help. The good news is, the good news is, is that we have the prompting of God this morning to open our eyes, to look around and perceive where our help might come from. You know, the wisdom of, of Fred Rogers uh, that, that is most often quoted, I think, is about what he says when we see a disaster. He says, when you see a crisis, when you see a moment of disaster, don't look at the disaster. Look for the helpers. He says, look for the helpers because what you'll see there is the most wonderful expression of human love and human care. You'll see others putting the needs of those other people before themselves, sacrificing their relative privilege, the fact that they weren't victims of this crisis. They sacrificed that to get down in the mud or the earthquake rubble or the, or the ashes or whatever it is to help the people who are there and to say, this is not the end. And Mr. Rogers' advice is not just good advice. It is a picture of who God is. Because that is what God has done for us. God is almighty, yet God humbled God's own self to come into this world to help us to see beyond ourselves and to know that the power of God is in us to help others as well. God helps. That's who God is. It's what God does. And so may we be helpers too. Amen.